Chapter Eight of The Smuggler by George Payne Rainsford James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight. On entering the drawing room, towards which Sir Edward Digby immediately turned his steps, he found it tenanted alone by Mrs. Barbara Croyland, who sat in the window with her back towards the door, knitting most diligently with something pinned to her knee as it was quite beyond the good lady's conception that anybody would ever think of quitting the dining-room so early but her younger brother no sooner did she hear a step than jumping at conclusions as she usually did she exclaimed aloud isn't he a nice young man brother zachary i think it will do quite well if that sir edward digby would have given a great deal to hear the conclusion of the sentence but his honour was as bright as his sword and he never took advantage of a mistake it is not your brother mrs croyland he said and then mrs barbara starting up with a face like scarlet tearing her gown at the same time by the tug she gave to the pin which attached her work to her knee he added with the most benevolent intentions "'I think he might have been made a very nice young man "'if he had been properly treated in his youth, "'but I should imagine he was very wild and headstrong now.' "'Mrs. Barbara stared at him with a face full of wonder and confusion, "'for her own mind was so completely impressed "'with the subject on which she had begun to speak "'that she by no means comprehended the turn "'that he intended to give it, "'but thought that he also was talking of himself "'and not of young Radford.' how it would have ended no mere mortal can tell for when once mrs barbara got into a scrape she floundered most awfully luckily however her brother was close enough behind sir edward digby to hear all that passed and he entered the room while the consternation was still fresh upon his worthy sister's countenance after gazing at her for a moment with a look of sour merriment mr croyland exclaimed there hold your tongue bab you can't get your fish out of the kettle without burning your fingers now my young friend he continued taking sir edward digby by the arm and drawing him aside if you choose to be a great fool and run the risk of falling in love with a pretty girl whom my sister barbara has determined you shall marry whether you like it or not and who herself dear little soul has no intention in the world but of playing you like a fish till you are caught and then laughing at you you will find the two girls walking in the wood behind the house as they do every day but if you don't like such amusement you can stay here with me and bab and be instructed by her in the art and mystery of setting everything to wrongs with the very best intentions in the world thank you my dear sir replied sir edward smiling i think i should prefer the fresh air and as to the dangers against which you warn me i have no fears the game of coquetry can be played by two. Ay, but woe to him who loses, said Mr. Croyland in a more serious tone. But go along with you, go along. You are a rash young man, and if you will court your fate, you must. The young baronet accordingly walked away, leaving Mrs. Barbara to recover from her confusion as she best might, and Mr. Croyland to scold her at his leisure, which Sir Edward did not in the slightest degree doubt he would do. It was a beautiful summer's afternoon in the end of August, the very last day of the month, the hour about a quarter to six, so that the sun had nearly to run a twelfth part of his course before the time of his setting. It was warm and cheerful, too, but with a freshness in the air and a certain golden glow over the sky, which told that it was evening. 
not wishing exactly to pass before the dining-room windows sir edward endeavoured to find his way out into the wood behind the house by the stable and farmyards but he soon found himself in a labyrinth from which it was difficult to extricate himself and in the end was obliged to have recourse to a stout country lad who was walking up towards the mansion with a large pail of milk tugging at his hand and bending in the opposite direction to balance the load right willingly however the youth set down the pail and leaving it to the tender mercies of some pigs who were walking about in the yard and did not fail to inquire into the nature of its contents he proceeded to show the way through the flower and kitchen gardens by a small door in the wall to a path which led out at once amongst the trees now sir edward digby had not the slightest idea of which way the two young ladies had gone and it was by no means improbable that if he were left without pilotage in going and returning he might lose his way in the wood which as i have said was very extensive but all true lovers are fond of losing their way and as he had his sword by his side he had not the slightest objection to that characteristic of an amadis having in reality a good deal of the knight-errant about him and rather liking a little adventure if it did not go too far his inventures indeed were not destined that night to be very remarkable for following the path about a couple of hundred yards he was led directly into a good broad sandy road in which he thought it would be impossible to go astray a few clouds that passed over the sky from time to time cast their fitful and fanciful shadows upon the way the trees waved on either hand and with a small border of green turf the yellow path pursued its course through the wood forming a fine but pleasant contrast in colour with the verdure of all the other things around as he went on too the sky overhead and the shades amongst the trees began to assume a rosy hue as the day declined farther and farther and the busy little squirrels as numerous as mice were seen running here and there up the trees and along the branches with their bright black eyes staring at the stranger with a saucy activity very little mingled with fear the young baronet was fond of such scenes and fond of the somewhat grave musing which they very naturally inspire and he therefore went on alternately pondering and admiring and very well contented with his walk whether he met his fair friends or not sir edward indeed would not allow himself to fancy that he was by any means very anxious for zara's company or for miss croyland's either for he was not in the slightest hurry either to fall in love or to acknowledge it to himself even if he were with regard to edith indeed he felt himself in no possible danger for had he continued to think her as he had done at first more beautiful than her sister which by this time he did not he was still guarded in her case by feelings which to a man of his character were as a triple shield of brass or anything a great deal stronger he walked on however and he walked on not indeed with a very slow pace but with none of the eager hurry of youth after beauty till at length when he had proceeded for about half an hour he saw cultivated fields and hedgerows at the end of the road he was pursuing and soon after came to the open country without meeting with the slightest trace of sir robert croyland's daughters on the right hand as he issued out of the wood there was a small but very neat and picturesque cottage 
and its little kitchen garden, and its flower garden, its wild roses, and its vine. "'I have certainly missed them,' said Sir Edward Digby to himself, "'and I ought to make the best use of my time, for it won't do to stay here too long. Perhaps they may have gone into the cottage.' Girls like these often seek an object in their walk, and visit this poor person or that. And thus thinking, he advanced to the little gate, went into the garden, and knocked with his knuckles at the door of the house. A woman's voice bade him come in, and doing so he found a room, small in size, but corresponding in neatness and cleanliness with the outside of the place. It was tenanted by three persons, a middle-aged woman dressed as a widow, with a fine and placid countenance, who was advancing towards the door as he entered, a very lovely girl of eighteen or nineteen who bore a strong resemblance to the widow, and a stout, powerful, good-looking man of about thirty, well-dressed, though without any attempt at the appearance of a station above the middle class, with a clean, fine, checked shirt, having the collar cast back, and a black silk handkerchief tied lightly in what is usually termed a sailor's knot. The two latter persons were sitting very close together, and the girl was smiling gaily at something her companion had just said. Two lovers, thought the young baronet, but, as that was no business of his, he went on to inquire of the good woman of the house, if she had seen some young ladies pass that way, and having named them, he added, to escape scandal, I am staying at the house, and am afraid, if I do not meet with them, I shall not easily find my way back. "'They were here a minute ago, sir,' replied the widow, "'and they went round to the east. "'They will take the Holden Road back, I suppose. "'If you make haste, you will catch them easily.' "'But which is the Holden Road, my good lady?' asked Sir Edward Digby. "'And she, turning to the man who was sitting by her daughter, said, "'I wish you would show the gentleman, Mr. Harding.' "'The man rose cheerfully enough, considering the circumstances, "'and led the young baronet with a rapid step.' by a footpath that wound round the edge of the wood to another broad road about three hundred yards distant from that by which the young officer had come. Then, pointing with his hand, he said, "'There they are, going as slow as a Dutch butter-tub. You can't miss them, or the road either, for it leads straight on.' Sir Edward Digby thanked him, and walked forward. A few rapid steps brought him close to the two ladies, who, though they looked upon every part of the wood as more or less their home, and consequently felt no fear, turned at the sound of a footfall so near, and the younger of the two smiled gaily when she saw who it was. "'What's Sir Edward Digby?' she exclaimed. "'In the name of all that is marvellous, how did you escape from the dining-room? Why, you will be accused of shirking the bottle, cowardice, and milksopism, and crimes and misdemeanours enough to forfeit your commission.' She spoke gaily, but Sir Edward Digby thought that the gaiety was not exactly sterling, for when first she turned, her face had been nearly as grave as her sister's. He answered, however, in the same tone, "'I must plead guilty to all such misdemeanours, but if they are to be rewarded by such pleasure as that of a walk with you, I fear I shall often commit them.' "'You must not pay us courtly compliments, Sir Edward,' said Miss Croyland, "'for we poor country people do not understand them. I hope, however, you left the party peaceable.' for it promised to be quite the contrary at one time, and my uncle and Mr. Radford never agree. "'Oh, quite peaceable, I can assure you,' replied Digby. "'I retreated under cover of your uncle's movements. 
Perhaps otherwise I might not have got away so easily. He it was who told me where I should find you. Indeed, exclaimed Miss Coyland in a tone of surprise, and then, casting down her eyes, she fell into thought. Her sister, however, carried on the conversation in her stead, saying, "'Well, you are the first soldier, Sir Edward, I ever saw, who left the table before night.' "'They must have been soldiers who had seen little service, I should think,' replied the young officer, "'for a man called upon often for active exertion soon finds the necessity of keeping any brains he has got as clear as possible, in case they should be needed.' In many countries where I have been, too, we could get no wine to drink, even if we wanted it. Such was the case in Canada, and in some parts of Germany. "'Have you served in Canada?' demanded Miss Croyland suddenly, raising her eyes to his face with a look of deep interest. "'Through almost the whole of the war,' replied Sir Edward Digby quietly, without noticing, even by a glance, the change of expression which his words had produced.' He then paused for a moment, as if waiting for some other question, but both Miss Croyland and her sister remained perfectly silent, and the former turned somewhat pale. As he saw that neither of his two fair companions were likely to carry the conversation a step further, the young officer proceeded in a quiet and even light tone. "'This part of the country,' he continued, "'is always connected in my mind with Canada, and indeed I was glad to accept your father's invitation at once,' when he was kind enough to ask me to his house, for in addition to the pleasure of making his personal acquaintance, I longed to see scenes which I had often heard mentioned with all the deep affection and delight which can only be felt by a fine mind for the spot in which our brighter years are passed. The younger girl looked to her sister, but Edith Croyland was deadly pale and said nothing, and Zara inquired in a tone to which she too evidently laboured to give the gay character of her usual demeanour, "'Indeed, Sir Edward, may I ask who gave you such a flattering account of our poor country? "'He must have been a very foolish and prejudiced person. "'At least, so I fear you must think, now you have seen it.' "'No, no, oh, no,' cried Digby earnestly. "'Anything but that. "'I had that account from a person so high-minded, so noble, "'so full of every generous quality of heart and every fine quality of mind, "'that I was quite sure, ere I came here, I should find the people whom he mentioned, and the scenes which he described, all that he stated, and I have not been disappointed, Miss Croyland. "'But you have not named him, Sir Edward,' said Zara. "'You are very tantalising. Perhaps we may know him, and be sure we shall love him for his patriotism.' "'He was an officer in the regiment to which I then belonged,' answered the young baronet, "'and my dearest friend. His name was Leighton a most distinguished man who had already gained such a reputation that, had his rank in the army admitted it, none could have been more desired to take the command of the forces when Wolfe fell on the heights of Abraham. He was too young, however, and I had too little interest to obtain that position. Miss Croyland, you seem ill. Let me give you my arm. Edith bowed her head quietly and leaned upon her sister, but answered not a word and Zara gave a glance to Sir Edward Digby, which he read aright. It was a meaning, a sort of relying and imploring look, as if she would have said, I beseech you, say no more, she cannot bear it. And the young officer abruptly turned the conversation, observing, The day has been very hot, Miss Croyland. You have walked far and over-fatigued yourself. It is nothing, it is nothing, answered Edith, with a deep-drawn breath. It will be past in a moment, Sir Edward. 
I am frequently thus. Too frequently, murmured Zara, gazing at her sister, and Sir Edward Digby replied, I am sure if such be the case you should consult some physician. Zara shook her head with a melancholy smile while her sister walked on, leaning upon her arm in silence, with her eyes bent towards the ground as if in deep thought. I fear that no physician would do her good, said the younger lady in a low voice. The evil is now confirmed. Nay, replied Digby, gazing at her, I think I know one who could cure her entirely. His look said more than his words, and Zara fixed her eyes upon his face for an instant with an inquiring glance. The expression then suddenly changed to one of bright intelligence, and she answered, I will make you give me his name tomorrow, Sir Edward. Not now, not now. I shall forget it. Sir Edward Digby was not slow in taking a hint, and he consequently made no attempt to bring the conversation back to the subject which had so much affected Miss Croyland. But lest a dead silence should too plainly mark that he saw into the cause of the faintness which had come over her, he went on talking to her sister, and Zara soon resumed, at least to all appearance, her own light spirits again. But Digby had seen her under a different aspect, which was known to few besides her sister, and, to say the truth, though he had thought her sparkling frankness very charming, yet the deeper and tenderer feelings which she had displayed towards Edith were still more to his taste. "'She is not the light coquette her uncle represents her,' he thought as they walked on. "'There is a true and feeling heart beneath, one whose affections, if strongly excited and then disappointed, might make her as sad and cheerless as this other poor girl. He had not much time to indulge either in meditations or in conversation with his fair companion, for when they were within about a mile of the house, old Mr. Croyland was seen advancing towards them with his usual brisk air and quick pace. "'Well, young people, well,' he said, coming forward, "'I bring the soberness of age to temper the lightness of youth.' "'Oh, we are all very sober, uncle,' replied Zara. "'It is only those who say in the house drinking wine who are otherwise.' "'I have not been drinking wine, saucy girl,' answered Mr. Croyland. "'But come, Edith, I want to speak with you. "'And as the road is too narrow for four, we'll pair off, "'as the rascals who ruin the country in the House of Commons term it. "'Troop on, Miss Zara. "'There's a gallant cavalier who will give you his arm, doubtless, if you will ask it.' "'Indeed I shall do no such thing,' replied the fair lady, walking on, and while Edith and her uncle came slowly after, Sir Edward Digby and the youngest Miss Croyland proceeded on their way, remaining silent for some minutes, though each, to say the truth, was busily thinking how the conversation which had been interrupted might best be renewed. It was Zara who spoke first, however, looking suddenly up in her companion's face, with one of her bright and sparkling smiles, and saying, "'It is a strange house, is it not, Sir Edward, and we are a strange family?' "'Nay, I do not see that,' replied the young officer. "'With every new person whose acquaintance we make, "'we are like a traveller for the first time in a foreign country, "'and must learn the secrets of the land before we can find our way rightly.' "'Oh, secrets enough here,' cried Zara. "'Every one has his secret but myself. "'I have none, thank God, but good father is full of them.' "'Edith, you see, has hers. "'My uncle is loaded with one even now, "'and eager to disburden himself. "'But my aunts are the most curious of all, "'for they are everlasting, and not only that, "'but though most profound, "'they are sure to be known in five minutes to the whole world. 
Try to conceal them how she may, they are sure to drop out before the day is over, and whatever good scheme she may have against any one, no defence is needed, for they are sure to frustrate themselves. What are you laughing at, Sir Edward? Has she begun upon you already? Nay, not exactly upon me, answered Sir Edward Digby. She certainly did let drop some words which showed me she had some scheme in her head, though whom it referred to I am at a loss to divine. "'Nay, nay, now you are not frank,' cried the young lady. "'Tell me this moment, if you would have me hold you good-night and true. "'Was it me or Edith that it was all about? "'Nay, do not shake your head, my good friend, for I will know, depend upon it. "'And if you do not tell me, I will ask my aunt myself.' "'Nay, for heaven's sake, do not!' exclaimed Sir Edward. "'You must not make your aunt think that I am a tell-tale.' "'Oh, I know, I know,' exclaimed the fair girl, clapping her hands eagerly. "'I can divine it all in a minute. "'She has been telling you what an excellent good girl Zara Croyland is, "'and what an admirable wife she would make, "'especially for any man moving in the highest society, "'and hinting, moreover, that she is fond of military men, "'and, in short, that Sir Edward Digby could not do better. "'I know it all, I know it all, as well as if I had heard it. "'But now, my dear sir,' she continued in a graver tone, "'put all such nonsense out of your head "'if you would have us such good friends as I think we may be. "'Leave my dear aunt's schemes to unravel and defeat themselves, "'or only think of them as a matter of amusement, "'and do not for a moment believe that Zara Croyland "'has either any share in them "'or any design of captivating you or any other man whatsoever. "'For I tell you fairly and at once that I never intend,' that nothing would induce me, no, not if my own dearest happiness depended upon it, to marry and leave poor Edith to endure all that she may be called upon to undergo. I will talk to you more about her another time, for I think that you already know something beyond what you have said to-day. But we are too near the house now, and I will only add that I have spoken frankly to Sir Edward Digby, because I believe, from all I have seen and all I have heard, that he is incapable of misunderstanding such conduct. "'You do me justice, Miss Croyland,' replied the young officer, much gratified, "'but you have spoken under a wrong impression in regard to your aunt. I did not interrupt you, for what you said was too pleasing, too interesting, not to induce me to let you go on, but I can assure you that what I said was perfectly true.' and that though some words which your aunt dropped accidentally showed me that she had some scheme on foot, she said nothing to indicate what it was. "'Well, never mind it,' answered the young lady. "'We now understand each other, I trust, and after this I do not think you will easily mistake me, though, if what I suppose is true, I might have to do a very great many extraordinary things with you, Sir Edward. Seek your society when you may not be very willing to grant it. Consult you, rely upon you, confide in you in a way that few women would do, except with a brother or an acknowledged lover, which I beg you to understand you are on no account to be, and I, on my part, will promise that I will not misunderstand you either, nor take anything that you may do at my request for one very dear to me. And she gave a glance over her shoulder towards her sister, who was some way behind, as anything but a sign of your having been a kind and generous heart. "'So, now that's all settled.' "'There is one thing, Miss Croyland,' replied Digby gravely, "'that you will find very difficult to do, 
though you say you will try it, namely, to seek my society when I am unwilling to give it. "'Nay, nay, I will have no such speeches,' cried Zara Croyland, "'or I have done with you. I never could put any trust in a man who said civil things to me.' "'What, not if he sincerely thought them?' demanded her companion. "'Then I would rather he continued to think them without speaking them,' answered the young lady. "'If you did but know, Sir Edward, how sickened and disgusted a poor girl in the country soon gets with flattery that means nothing,' from men who insult her understanding by thinking that she can be pleased with such trash you would excuse me for being rude and uncivilized enough to wish never to hear a smooth word from any man who i am inclined to respect very well answered the young baronet laughing to please you i will be as brutal as possible and if you like it scold you as sharply as your uncle if you say or do anything that i disapprove of do do cried zara I love him and esteem him, though he does not understand me in the least, and I would rather a great deal have his conversation, sharp and snappish as it seems to be, than all the honey or milk and water of any of the smart young men in the neighbourhood. But here we are at the house, and only one more word as a warning, and one word as a question. First, do not let any of my good aunt's schemes embarrass you in anything you have to do or say. Walk straight through them as if they did not exist. Take your own course without, in the least degree, attending to what she says, for or against. "'And what is the question?' demanded Sir Edward, as they were now mounting the steps to the terrace. "'Simply this,' replied the fair lady. "'Are you not acquainted with more of Edith's history than the people here are aware of?' "'I am,' answered Digby, "'and to see more of her, to speak with her for a few minutes in private, if possible,' was the great object of my coming hither. "'Thanks, thanks,' said Zara, giving him a bright and grateful smile. "'Be guided by me, and you shall have the opportunity. But I must speak with you first, myself, that you may know all. I suppose you are an early riser.' "'Oh, yes,' replied Sir Edward. But he added no more, for at that moment they were overtaken by Edith and Mr. Croyland, and the whole party entered the house together.' End of chapter 8